Father in heaven, as we study one of your friends today, I pray that the Holy Spirit may be present to speak to our hearts, to enliven us, to give us a a deeper appreciation for Jesus, a better understanding of your word, and a firmer commitment to be faithful to you. We pray in his name. Amen. Bethany, as we saw yesterday, was just, just under two miles from Jerusalem. We will look at it on a three-dimensional map here. You see Jerusalem. And then you climb the Mount of Olives to the east of Jerusalem. And then you go down on the other side into the valley um, of the Mount of Olives. And that's Bethany. And today the town of Bethany is still in existence. It's known as Lazarus. The city once known as Bethany, the house of misery, is today known as the city of Lazarus, the resurrected one. Jesus described Lazarus as a friend. And what God did for one man, his friend Lazarus, permanently changed the city, even its name. This morning we want to study, this afternoon, we want to study about Lazarus. If you have your Bibles, you can open it to John 11 because we're going to be studying from John 11. I am going to have it on the screen, but you can have it right there in your, in your Bible. And we're going to begin with the first two verses of John 11. Now a certain man was sick, named Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary, and her sister Martha. It was that Mary which anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. In the Bible, the name of places and the name of an individual is important. The word Lazarus means God is my helper in Greek. Lazarus uh, has a Hebrew equivalent called Eliezer which was a relatively common Jewish name. In fact, there are eight different people in the Old Testament known as Eliezer. Our text says, Lazarus was sick. Now, this doesn't mean that Lazarus had a little cold, little sniffles, a little runny nose. A uh, few miserable days, then he'd be okay. A little trip to the doctor, a little bit of a uh, fomentation. This verse tells us, that Lazarus was sick and then reminds us of this in verse 2, verse 3, verse 4, and verse 6. Lazarus was sick. The Greek word translated sick here actually means weak. And it's translated weak about half of the time. For example, in Hebrews 11, out of weakness were made strong. In Christ's day, if they said you were sick, and they used that word, it meant that you were too weak to get around. Luke 4.40, they, uh, they that had any sick or weak with diverse diseases brought them unto him. The sick were too weak to come on their own. They had to be brought. Mark 6.56, and whithersoever he entered into villages or cities or countries, they laid the sick in the streets. They might be too weak even to be brought to Jesus. 
Acts 19.12, so that from his body were brought unto the sick handkerchiefs or aprons. I was sick and ye visited me. When John says Lazarus was sick, he was seriously ill. He was too weak even to, to go on his own to see Jesus. He was too weak even to be taken to Jesus. Lazarus' sisters were afraid he might die. They didn't dare leave him. He was too weak to care for himself. What should we do in a situation like this? The Bible tells us. Is any sick, that word sick, among you, weak, let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. They may be too sick to go to the elders, and so they call the elders to come to them. That's the context of that verse. And this is just what was done with Lazarus. Notice verse 3 of John 11. Therefore his sisters sent unto him, that is Jesus, saying, Lord, behold whom thou lovest, he whom thou lovest is sick. It's helpful to look at the context of this story. It was in the last few months of Jesus' life. John 10.22, the few verses before John 11 tells us it was at Jerusalem, the feast of the dedication, and it was winter. This is the last winter of Jesus' earthly life. This feast um, was not one established by God. It was established by Judas Maccabeus in 164 B.C. It was celebrated in the middle of December around our Christmas time. And so this was after the winter of 30 A.D., the last winter of Jesus' life, when this is going to take place. At this feast, the Jewish leaders accused Jesus of blasphemy, and they attempted to stone him. Therefore, they sought again to take him, but he escaped out of their hand and went away again beyond Jordan into the place where John at first baptized, and there he abode. And many resorted unto him, and many believed on him there. Jesus, like David, fleeing from King Saul, fled to the rocky fortress on the other side of the Jordan. Here, Jesus was out of range of both priest and ruler. He went to the wilderness region where John the Baptist had grown up, where he had begun his ministry at another village, which is sometimes called Bethany, but more often Bethabara. And there he had great success reaping where John the Baptist had sowed. There in this wild and rocky region, he was safe from the plots of his enemies. But while he was there, Lazarus' two sisters sent him an email. They texted him. Text message. The one you loved is sick. It's interesting to me that they call Lazarus the one you love. Jesus did love Lazarus. It was obvious to everyone that Jesus loved him. John eleven thirty six. then said the Jews, behold how he loved him. But he didn't love Lazarus alone. He loved the entire family. They were all his friends. Notice verse 5. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister, that would be Mary, and Lazarus. Is Jesus' love unique to Martha, Mary, and Lazarus? Does he love you 
Yeah. Years ago, when I was a student at Columbia Union College, called then, now it's a Washington Adventist University, um, I was having my devotions, I was praying, and I, I said to the Lord one evening while I was praying, I said, Lord, you know, I tell you that I love you. I would like you to tell me that you love me. Now, of course, um, I was ignoring the fact that every spire of springing grass, the birds that make the air melody with their song, all testify of God's love. And if I wanted to know whether God loved me, I could have gone out and looked at the grass there by the boys' dorm. But I said, Lord, I tell you, can you just tell me? And I had no sooner said that prayer than I got two buzzes. Now, this was before iPhones, and this was before even more sophisticated communication where you had a telephone in the room. We had a buzzer that the desk could communicate with us, and two buzzes meant that we had a phone call. So I went to the, to the, down the hall and to the right where there was a phone on the, on the hallway. And it was a friend on the other line. Um, it wasn't a girlfriend, it was just a friend, but it was a, a girl. And she said, I just got a new Bible. And it was the new uh, English Bible. And she says, I had a, uh, I was just reading Malachi. And it was so good, I just had to call you and tell you and read it to you. And here was the verse, Malachi 1-2, I love you, says the Lord. Now, I don't know why this happened. Do you remember the year? Now, I don't remember the year, but it was an amazing uh, situation. Um, and I have never wondered. If I wonder, I just get out the New English Bible and read Malachi 1-2 because that is for you. I love you, says the Lord. The children's song is true. Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. The sisters were right to say to Jesus, the one you love. Is sick. Look back at John 11, th uh, 3. In this message to Jesus, did Mary and Martha ask him for a favor? Therefore his sister sent out unto him, saying, sent unto him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. What did they do? They simply presented a need to Jesus. They discovered a secret of prayer, powerful prayer, answered prayer. They didn't tell God what to do. They simply presented him with what their problem was. And what a difference between this prayer to Jesus, Lord, he whom thou lovest is sick, and the prayers of the apostate Israelites praying to Baal, screaming, jumping around, hollering, and even cutting themselves. They wore themselves out, trying in vain to get the attention of their God, Baal. Dear folk, Jesus is listening to our prayers and he bends low 
when he hears it. If a, if a baby cries, be the whimper ever so slight, what does a mother do? She responds. She can tell the difference between a cry of need and other babies' cries. And Jesus is the same for us. And Martha and Mary's simple expression of need moved the arm of omnipotence. There was a power in that prayer. He whom thou lovest is sick. In a great chapter of the book Education, Faith and Prayer, the very first paragraph says, faith is trusting God, believing that he does what? That he loves us. And what else? knows best what is for our good. Did Mary and Martha believe that God loved them? Did they believe that he knew best what was for their good? Do you have trust and confidence of Jesus' love for you? Are you certain he knows best what is for your good? Please look at verse 6. When he heard, he had heard therefore that he, that his Lazarus was sick, Let me just put those words in. When Jesus had heard, therefore, that Lazarus was sick, Jesus abode two days still in the same place where he was. How did Jesus respond when he heard that Lazarus was sick? He went went around on his business as if he hadn't even heard the request. Um, He went around as if it didn't matter. We live in an instant society, instant mashed potatoes, instant oats, instant communication through texting. A year ago, a teen and her mother came into my office to be seen for some skin disease, and the teen was actually very uh, clearly had problems. And so, the mother began to make some suggestions to her daughter, and uh, the girl just sort of pushed up her nose and says, Mom, that's so 10 seconds ago. That is our instant society. 10 seconds is another generation. 10 seconds has no interest for us. People want instant answers to their prayer, but that might not be best for us. Notice this from Great Controversy 6.30. The very delay, so painful to them, that is the saints, is the, what are the next two words? What's the word before the answer? The best answer to their petitions. I heard a, a... minister that I greatly respect back when I was a young person. He says that Jesus only answers prayer in two ways. Two ways. I picked up my ears. I'd always heard it was three ways. No, he says it's just two ways. He either says yes or he says something better. Yes or something better. I like that, don't you? Prayer is not the secret for getting our way with God. True prayer is God's secret for getting his way with us. There are those who will not believe in Christ unless he answers their prayers in a certain way. I had a, an attending back when I was in residency at Ohio State University. And this was my 
attending that taught me pediatric physical medicine and rehab. And he was an atheist. And so we were chatting one day, and he told me why he was an atheist, because he had prayed to God. He had polio, and he had polio as a um, six-year-old, and he had prayed to God that God would deliver him from his polio and keep him from the weakness. He had to walk around with, uh, with crutches and with a wheelchair, if it was any distance. And he had prayed to God to heal him, and God hadn't heard him, and so therefore God must not exist. The nobleman's son was in a desperate situation as was Lazarus, but what a different request the nobleman made. When he heard that Jesus was come out of Galilee into, out of Judea into Galilee, he went unto him and besought him that he would come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. Then Jesus said unto him what? except ye see signs and wonders, ye will not believe. There are some who are insistent on their way in their prayers. Most of us are familiar with Hezekiah's disastrous answer to prayer. Isaiah had come down to Hezekiah and given him a message that he was going to die. And so instead of surrendering to God's best for his life, he turned his face to the wall and pouted and began to say a prayer. And God answered his prayer, gave him 15 more years of life, but those 15 years didn't result in good. That was after that prayer that the Babylonians visited and determined they were going to destroy Jerusalem. And then... During that 15-year period, the child Manasseh was born, the worst king of Israel. Wouldn't you hate to twist God's arm so he gave you what you wanted if it wasn't best for you? Not my will, Jesus prayed, but thy will be done. I pray, God, don't let me push you into doing anything that isn't for your way. God's way, not my way, is the best way. In the book of Psalms, it tells us of Jesus giving the children of Israel what they wanted and asked for. Psalm 106.15, He gave them their request, but sent leanness into their souls. We don't want God to give us the answer to our request unless it's best for us. I want the answers to prayer that don't give me leanness of soul, but Fatness of soul. How about you? The disciples wanted Judas to join as a disciple, and they pushed Jesus so hard that he granted their request. They wouldn't have understood Jesus otherwise, Desire Vegas says. So I pray, dear Jesus, don't let anything I want interfere what, with what should be done. Don't worry about my feelings. Don't worry about my understanding. Just do what is best. And that is what Mary, Martha, and Lazarus prayed. Lord, he whom thou lovest is sick. You know the case. You know you'll do what is right. You're the great physician. And what was right? In this case, it was for Jesus to just keep right on doing what he'd been doing for the next two days. But he did send them back a message. And he'll send us a message. We find it in verse 4. 
When Jesus heard that, that is their request, their, their information, he said, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. When we choose God's way, it will bring joy to us and glory to him. That message came back to Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, and they must have felt a huge sense of relief. They thought they understood Jesus' answer, but they only partially comprehended the words of Christ. As Paul says, we see through a glass darkly. Now we know in part. Because of partial understanding, Martha and Mary's hopes were going to be bitterly disappointed. If you were Lazarus and heard Jesus' message, this sickness is not unto death, what would you conclude? Not going to die. And Mary, Martha, and Lazarus felt reassured that at least whatever was the problem with Lazarus, he wasn't going to die. Even as they watched Lazarus grow steadily weaker, they knew he was not going to die. For Jesus said, this sickness is not unto death. Seeing a rapid deterioration in a sickness normally prepares a person and their family for the death of a loved one. My brother discovered that he had chronic lymphocytic leukemia. And uh, he was told it was not a question of if, it was only a question of when he would die. And so for the next Seven years, he carefully prepared for the inevitable. He was prepared to die, and we were prepared for him to die. We were in his room when he died. In such a situation, death brings us grief, but it doesn't bring us surprise. But neither Lazarus nor his sisters were prepared for his death. Jesus had said, this sickness is not unto death, and what did they do? They trusted Jesus' words. They believed them. And Lazarus' death was as unexpected as if he had never been sick. The sisters had confidently told their friends of the word of Jesus. They expressed assurance that Lazarus wasn't going to die. They sent out no messages for others to see Lazarus for the last time. They didn't feel they needed to. He wasn't going to die. I'm reminded of Charles Fitch. You remember in early October, 1844, after baptizing three groups of believers in a brisk wind, he contracted a high fever that turned into pneumonia. And on October 14, just a few days shy of October 22, when he knew Jesus was going to come, he died. But his wife and his children didn't mourn because they expected to see him in just a week, a little over a week. And they were happy, confident, and expected. But Jesus didn't come. And the husband and the father, and now the wife and the children are all sleeping. And what happened to Mary and Martha? Jesus didn't come. And to Martha and Mary's great surprise, Lazarus died. What they thought couldn't happen did happen. They heard his breathing stop. They saw his eyelids close. They felt the pulse cease. They hadn't made any special arrangements for a funeral. Would you? 
because they knew there wouldn't be one. They were prepared for his life, but they weren't prepared for his death. As the finality of their situation sank in, they felt their loss more deeply. Lazarus was the only male in their household. They must have felt less safe without a brother there to protect them. They must have wondered who was going to be doing the heavy lifting around the house without a man there. And they... Well, put yourself in Mary and Martha's place. To your grief is added surprise. To your surprise is added perplexity and embarrassment. The perplexity of trusting in the Word of God that seemed to fail, which tests your faith. And also the embarrassment of telling others that Lazarus wouldn't die. What questions must have tortured their minds? What had gone wrong? Why had Lazarus died? Why did Jesus say his sickness was not unto death? Relatives who rejected Jesus used Jesus' words as a weapon against them to show that they had been following this foolishly listening to Jesus foolishly, and his, others words, his other words were just as unreliable. Mary and Martha struggled to understand Jesus' statement until they finally concluded, if Jesus would have been here, Lazarus wouldn't have died. And they repeated it over and over. Was their explanation right? Yes. Had Jesus been there, would Lazarus have died? No. But Jesus wasn't there. And Lazarus was dead. Dear folk, every time we see a death and go to a funeral, it's because Jesus hasn't come. Because if Jesus was here, if Jesus had come, would there be any more death? The sisters longed for Jesus' presence while Lazarus lived. They longed for it even more after Lazarus died. But it was too late, and they sent him no further messages. Now, we previously noted that Lazarus' name means what? Remember? God is my helper. Lazarus represents all those who in difficulties and afflictions put their trust in God. God is their helper. And when Jesus sent the message, this sickness is not unto death, God was sending this message to every Lazarus. All who believe that God is their helper. The Bible promise is sure. Believers in Jesus will not die. They have eternal life. John 11, later in this same chapter, Jesus said, whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall what? Never die. The same promise he made to Lazarus, he's made to us. And we understand they don't die. They merely take a nap. Then after that, saith he to his disciples, let us go unto Judea again. Notice the phrase, then after that. When Jesus received the message, he seemed to dismiss it. Lazarus' sickness was no big deal. Lazarus isn't going to die. God's glory is going to be revealed. Don't worry about it. Jesus apparently doesn't give it any attention for two more days. He doesn't mention it. He's busy doing other things. The current concern of Mary and Martha doesn't seem to be his concern at all. When you seem to get no answers to your prayers, when your problems seem to mount and God doesn't seem to care, remember this phrase, then after that. 
The end has not come. The answer is coming then after that. The glory of God will be revealed then after that. Let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Lately the Jews have sought to stone you, and you are going there again? But Jesus did not make his own safety, his own needs, his priority. Verse 9, Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of his world. Of the, of his world. But if one walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. When we have light on our path, we need to walk on the path. When we know God's will, we must follow it. Some fear to follow the directions of Scripture. It may mean the loss of money. It may mean the loss of friends or even life itself. God's word points in a direction, but they see only danger. My mother listened to an evangelistic series by Elder Vandeman. Her sister had taken her 180 miles every evening so she would hear Elder Vandeman. And in that evangelistic series, my mother decided she was going to become a Christian. She decided she was going to become a Seventh-day Adventist. She decided she must keep the Sabbath. And when she um, gave her notice, she lost her job. Now, my mother's husband had left her, and she was with a young child, it's my brother, my older brother, and she had no other means of support. There were no social networks then like there were now. And she went for days knocking on business after business seeking a job. No jobs. And finally, one day, she went to the, biz the biggest business in town for the second time. And the lady who talked to her, the person in charge of human resources, person in charge of hiring and firing, looked her in the eye and said, Millie, you will never get a job here unless you work on Saturday. When we take steps to follow Jesus, it may seem like the loss of many things and all things. But that wasn't the end of the story. The uh, president of the company um, lost his secretary, the executive secretary, and uh, thought that that secretary would be coming, coming back and somehow... Um, gave the word to my mother and asked if she would be able to fill in as the interim secretary, which of course she could do, and it didn't demand any Sabbath work. That other person never came back, and my mother got the highest job you could get in the company. In fact, she was the boss of the lady who told her she would never get a job in that company if she kept the Sabbath. If you have light, you know what God wants you to do. What should you do if you have light? Walk in the light. 
walk in the light. These things he said, and after that he said, our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may wake him up. You know, princes send out invitations to weddings to their friends. Um, there was a recent wedding over in Britain, and people wondered, who is going to get the invitation to this uh, uh, prestigious, selective affair? And Jesus has his friends on this earth. Abraham was one. Lazarus was one. They will get an invitation to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Who are his friends? Those who believe him are his friends. Abraham believed God. And he was called the friend of God. Jesus is looking for friends. He, we can become his friend too. He says, I have called you friends. Our friend Lazarus sleeps. But I go that I may wake him up. Who is Jesus going to come for and wake up? His friends. His friends. The disciples didn't want to make the journey to Bethany. The first they said, at first they said, it's too dangerous. Jesus answered that question. But they still objected. They said it was unnecessary. His disciples then said, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get well. There are always two objections to following truth. The first is, it's too dangerous, it's too difficult, it's too costly. That is always the first objection. It comes in various flavors and colors. Paying tithe is too costly. Keeping the Sabbath is too costly. Changing the diet is too difficult. To all such objections, Jesus says, follow the light, obey the truth, share Jesus with others. But when we successfully answer that objection, leap that hurdle, another objection always follows. It's unnecessary. You don't have to pay tithe, keep the Sabbath, or change your diet. God doesn't require that. We are in the new covenant. We're under grace. You don't have to give up your jewelry. Notice that these objections were made by disciples of Jesus, ministers of the gospel. Don't condemn them. Pray for them. Set an example for them by following the light in God's word. To the law and to the testimony, if they speak not according to this word, there is... No light in them, and you don't want to follow darkness, you want to walk in the light. But we continue with the passage. However, Jesus spoke of his death, but they thought he was thinking about taking rest and sleeping. Then Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. Now, everybody in this audience knows that Jesus was comparing death to what? Sleep. And God wants us to understand that every time we go to sleep, we're illustrating what it's like to be dead. And so every night he wants us to prepare for our sleep as if we were preparing for our grave. And if we're prepared to sleep, we're prepared to die. If we're prepared to die, we're prepared to sleep. And so that's why we make sure our sins are confessed before we sleep and that everything is right with God before we sleep. And then when we wake up the next morning, it's a symbol of the resurrection. 
And we thank God he's awakened us, given us life again, and illustrating that every day of our lives. But I want to emphasize the truth of the state of the dead for a reason. Early writings, 87, the saints must get a thorough understanding of present truth, which they will be obliged to maintain from the scriptures. What are some of the present truths we must understand thoroughly? Notice this. They must understand, read the next five words, the state of the dead. Why? For the spirits of devils will yet appear to them, professing to be beloved friends and relatives. I have patients that come into me all the time, not Seventh-day Adventists, um, and they tell me that uh, some departed friend is giving, is communicating with them. It's happening increasingly. I never had that years ago, but it's happening now all the time with patients. And dear folk, it will happen to you and me if we live long enough. The spirits, these spirits of devils will declare to them, read that with me, that the Sabbath has been changed. Now, you don't have to have a, spirit, a devil that talks to you like that. I've, had, I've never had a, uh, a departed relative tell me that, but I've had some living people tell me that. But these spirits of devils will declare to them that the Sabbath has been changed, also other unscriptural doctrines. Now, of course, they'll make it sound like the Scriptures teaches this. Then Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and I am glad for your sakes that I was not there, that you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go to him. Often what makes us sad would make us glad if we just knew the end from the beginning. Jesus could be glad because he knew the end of the story. There was no reason for the family of Lazarus not to be glad. There was no reason for Christ's disciples to mourn. They determined they would follow Jesus even if that meant they were killed too, as Thomas said later in the chapter. Now, it was quite a trip for Jesus to go to Bethany from Bethbara, and it was dangerous, and he took a secret route. Maybe he traveled by night. He did not dare send any messages that he was actually coming. It took Christ and his disciples two days to quietly reach their destination. Because Bethany was on the outskirts of Jerusalem, Many important Jews from Jerusalem gathered for Lazarus' funeral. In those days, a funeral did not take an hour or two. It would last a week with expressions of great mourning. I had my first opportunity to see this type of weeping and wailing when I was a student missionary on a trip to the hospital in Gitwe, Ethiopia. It seemed so strange to my eyes and ears. I was accustomed to calm Christian funerals. I'd never heard or imagined anything like this. It's ironic that the very Jews who were in Bethany prepared, pretending to mourn for Lazarus, pretending to comfort Martha and Mary, would soon be plotting to kill Lazarus, whose death they were now mourning. Um, as I was preparing for this, I discovered that in Britain now you can hire mourners for a funeral for $68 an hour. And it's coming to the United States as well. Mourning mourners, professional mourners. Um, now, Jesus arrived in 
Bethany quietly. He heard all the ruckus off in the distance. Could you hear that? And so he sent one of the disciples with the message that he had arrived and was waiting to see them at the edge of town. The messenger came and Martha understood his message, but Mary didn't hear it. Isn't it interesting that Mary's grief was so great that Jesus' comforting message could not be heard? Isn't it interesting that human comforters kept Mary from the heavenly comforter? Can you love Jesus and Jesus sends you a message and you miss it? Yes. Jesus sent Mary a message and she missed it. It happened. It happened to Mary twice when she was in great grief. At this time and also at the resurrection where Jesus was there and finally had to say, Mary, Mary. As soon as Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. Mary was sitting in the house. Now Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. Her grief, however great, did not destroy her faith. But even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. That is a friend. Abraham believed God, and he was called a friend of God. Martha said to him, Yea, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. Friends of God, believe God, and trust him fully. When Jesus had heard these things, he went her, she went her way, secretly called Mary, her sister, saying, The teacher has come and is calling for you. She had to do it in secret because so many of the people that were mourning were enemies of Christ. In her grief and sorrow, Jesus was calling Mary. Have you ever felt alone? When you feel alone, Jesus is calling you. Are you going through trials? Jesus is calling you. These words inspired Fanny Crosby, these words of Jesus. What was Mary's response to Jesus' call? As soon as she heard that, verse 29, she arose quickly and came to Jesus. That's the response I want to have. Is that your response? She's calling. Then when Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet saying to him, the same words as Martha, the words they had repeated to each other and thought over and over, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. Gently, Jesus said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Then comes the shortest verse in the Bible, just two words, Jesus wept. John eleven thirty five. Well, there are many lessons here. Um, the question comes, why did he weep? The first is um, that God is not just the God of the future. He is the God of the immediate. He not only knows that we're going to be happy in heaven, he also feels our grief here and now. He doesn't just say, oh, don't worry about it to the angels. Don't worry about those uh, people down there. They're going to be so happy here in just a short time. It's not very long. Don't worry. He weeps with our weeping. He wept with Mary and Martha, though they were soon to be joyful with the resurrection of Lazarus. He wept with their immediate pain. 
Though God is soon to wipe tears from our eyes, though He is soon to take away all of our pain, He is sympathetic to our present grief. He wept for all those who had sorrowed through the centuries and were still to sorrow. He was weeping with all of them. In all our afflictions, He is afflicted. He was the only true mourner at the funeral of Lazarus. He understood how temporary his resurrection of Lazarus was. The joy of Mary and Martha at Lazarus' resurrection would be short-lived. Lazarus would die again. And Mary and Martha, if they were alive, must sorrow again. But there's a deeper sorrow than even this sorrow. He was weeping for the people whom he couldn't raise. He was weeping for that group of people who were not sorry for their sins and for whom he was truly sorry. He loved those who hated him. He asked the question, is it nothing to you all who pass by? Behold and see if there is any sorrow like my sorrow. Though the mourners saw Christ's tears, they could never understand their cause. He was weeping for them. They were weeping for Lazarus. But they should have been weeping for themselves. Jesus understands our tears, though we don't understand his tears. He sympathizes with us, though we so poorly sympathize with him. Education 263, every departure from the right, every deed of cruelty, every failure of humanity to reach his ideal brings grief to him. And Jesus, again groaning in himself, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, pull away the stone. Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there's a stench, for he's been dead four days. Martha was practical. She was trying to save Jesus from embarrassing himself. She knew all around were enemies of Jesus, and she wanted to help God out. Whenever there is a forward movement, there are good people who love Jesus who will give reasons why this or that shouldn't be done. I remember when Mark Finley suggested that there should be satellite evangelism. And everybody said, oh, you can't do that. Nevertheless, it was done and it was very effective. In fact, it converted my oldest daughter. Jesus said to Martha, did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God. Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying. Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, and once again, you're not going to see um, him leaping up, clapping, shouting, commanding, cutting himself, nothing like that. We see how simple prayer is. It's going to God in faith, trusting him, believing that he loves us and knowing that he hears us. He had heard Mary and Martha's request, even though it didn't appear to respond. Father, Jesus said, I thank you that you heard me. And I know you always hear me. Because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that that they may believe that you sent me. Now, when he had said these things, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. Why did Jesus say it with a loud voice? Was it so Lazarus could hear? (laughs) This is a preview of the second advent. When the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout. Is it going to be a loud shout? 
with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Just as every eye will see him, every ear will hear him. Can you imagine what it would have been like to be in that crowd? Lazarus had been dead four days. He'd been wrapped up in burial clothes, placed in a cave. Now with the, stain, the stone rolled away, Jesus at the mouth of the cave, he shouts, Lazarus, come forth! Either Lazarus is going to come forth or he's not, one of the two. Either Jesus is what he said he is, the resurrection and the life, or he's not. Is a deceiver or a truth teller. And those words that all could hear will establish forever the truth of Jesus' claims or prove them false. The scene we're looking at is one of the most important in Christ's life. For this scene, there were believers and unbelievers around. There was a large crowd. Jesus had arranged for it to be like that. Now they wait. They heard Jesus speak. And now, they breathlessly wait in suspense to hear Lazarus respond. When the loud voice dies away and the people say to their children, shh, listen, and suddenly they hear a rustle. They observe some movement in the shadows of that cave. He who had died came out, bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, loose him. They let him go. Dear folk, that resurrection was a mighty display of God's power. I hope I live to be translated. But if I don't, I'll be part of that which show the, the glory of God by the resurrection. Jesus' miracle shows that should I die, it's merely my bedchamber, and I can awaken at the call of Jesus. And Charlotte Homer wrote in that hymn, Be not a weary for labor will cease some glad morning. Turmoil will change to infinite peace some glad morning. Many of the Jews who had come to Bethany and had seen the things Jesus did believed in him. There's a very important point to be seen in this passage. The greatest work of Lazarus did not occur by his living, but by his dying. His only recorded sermon was given when his lips were silent in the grave. His greatest sermon was shown when he obeyed God, even when he was dead. <laughs> he came forward. We need not think we serve God only in life. By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous. God testifying of his gifts, and by it he being dead yet speaketh. I want to win souls during my life, and I want to continue winning souls after my death or until translation, whatever will bring God the most glory. There's a final point to be made. Have you been dead in trespasses and sins? The same power that resurrects the physical dead can raise the spiritual dead. Where the word of a king is, there's power. Do you want God's voice to be heard calling you to life? If we want to obey God then, we learn to obey God now. If Jesus gives you life from spiritual death, others will believe. Lazarus who has given life 
brought life to many others. Aren't you glad you're a Seventh-day Adventist? And know what we know. And dear folks, you want to make it your commitment that whether you're alive or whether you're resting, you'll respond now so that you'll respond then to the call of Jesus. Jesus will come and call for those that are his friends. Is it your determination to be one of those friends? Let's pray. Father in heaven, I want to be ready when Jesus comes. Earth's pleasures grow dim as we're waiting for him. Lord, keep us till Jesus comes. We're here at this camp meeting. Help us to make the decision. Take those steps to always walk in your light, to be true to, to, to truth, to be faithful to your word. And in a time where the world is increasingly confused, and even many people within the church are confused, help us to link on to Jesus, hold on to him, and be ready for Jesus coming. And may it be quick. In his name we pray. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.